Support for Che Explained comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. It's Today Explained. I'm Sean Ramos from The Entire World is Fixated on Ukraine, but not just on Ukraine. People are fixated AF on the country's comedian, actor turned president, Vladimir Zelensky. Zelensky's kind of made himself the main character of this story. And today on the show, we're going to figure out how exactly he did that. And we're going to get to hear from someone in the middle of the war and someone very far away from it. In Los Angeles, let's start in Ukraine. I left Kiev a couple of days ago, and I will probably not mention the exact location, but I'm in Ukraine and planning on returning to Kiev. This is Alexei Sorokin. He's the political editor at the Kiev Independent. I asked him if he thought his comedian president would make a good leader in war. Well, we had our doubts, but now the way he handles the situation it's obviously beyond everyone's expectations and we're we're so happy a lot of us that we were wrong who is he before he becomes a comedian what's his early life like what, what are his roots zelensky is from krividikh that's a small town in the middle of ukraine i would say there wasn't anything special about his upbringing or his life prior to him becoming a famous Ukrainian comedian. He also founded a production studio, and his production studio was very successful in Ukraine. They produced TV shows, films... Most of them are comedy movies. So he was a very successful TV personality, but nobody would expect him to be where he is right now. A couple of years prior to running, his production studio created a TV series called Servant of the People, which is now the name of his party where Zelensky played a school teacher who, by accident, suddenly became president. Vasily Petrovich Golobarotka? Da. Доброе утро, господин президент. And was tasked with defeating corruption and oligarchs and solving Ukrainian problems. Я понимаю, что многие боятся этих реформ как огня. Но уж простите, господа, придется забыть. This was a hit TV series, and many people decided to support Zelensky after this show. When he's running for president, what is his pledge to the Ukrainian people? Well, he never campaigned on a slogan, 
I'm a funny guy, everybody likes me. His main campaign promises was first stopping the war. Russia has invaded Ukraine back in 2014, occupied Crimea, launched a war in Donbass. That was his number one promise. And the second campaign promise was defeat corruption because uh, Petro Poroshenko, the former president, he was seen as part of the establishment. There was like corruption uh, probes all around him. So he was this established, allegedly corrupt politician. And Zelensky basically united all the protest votes around him and was able to completely dismantle the old Ukrainian political system. Almost as soon as he took office, President Zelensky was in the middle of a political scandal, but it wasn't a political scandal in Ukraine. It was a political scandal in the United States. Perfect. The call was perfect. It was on that call President Trump told the Ukrainian president, I would like you to do us a favor, and asked him to investigate a debunked conspiracy theory about Democratic emails. What did Ukrainians think about the now infamous, quote-unquote, perfect phone call President Zelensky had with the former president of the United States? The impeachment probe of uh, President Donald Trump was the first major political scandal for Zelensky. And obviously, he wasn't ready for that attention. No, you sure that we had, uh, I think, good uh, phone call. It was normal. We spoke about many things. And I, so, so I think, and you read it, that nobody pushed it. Pushed me, yes. In other words, no pressure. The international public, international media, had Zelensky uh, in the spotlight, and this was the first major task that Zelensky had to solve. But I wouldn't say that it had some kind of influence on Ukrainian domestic politics. It had major influence on Ukraine's foreign politics, especially the relations with the United States, But in Ukraine, many people wouldn't even notice it. How was his presidency going immediately before the invasion? Was he seen as a competent leader? Was he seen as a strong opponent to Vladimir Putin? Interestingly, Zelensky entered a very rocky time in terms of domestic politics. His presidential ratings and his party ratings were decreasing. He was still the most popular politician in Ukraine, but not because of his own policies, but because he didn't have a strong opponent. Why was his popularity waning at the time? He promised so much and people had, their hopes were so high. And obviously Zelensky and his party, most of whom had zero political experience, couldn't cope with that. The most notable example was the judicial reform and multiple corruption scandals inside his party. If you're a a man of principles, yes, why are you working for a man who the anti-corruption authorities say has stolen all this money from the people of this country? Every new political scandal or problem bit on his electoral support. Let's just talk about the moment Russia is invading Ukraine one week ago, do people look to each other and go, oh no, we voted for the comedian? <laughs> or or do they feel confident? 
I think nobody was asking that question the moment Russia invaded because the first emotion that everybody had was shock. Zelensky, yes, is the commander-in-chief, but I think most people had high hopes for the Ukrainian military, the military staff, and Zelensky was their second thought. And how does Zelensky become everyone's first thought? Well, uh, the way he reacted, the way he led the army during the first several days, his constant video addresses his willingness to stay in Kyiv, which is bombarded by Russia. He was able to show the world that maybe he wasn't the best peacetime leader, he's the perfect wartime leader. That we now know that Zelensky will do everything he can to lead Ukraine through this. He was able to show the world that Ukraine has a strong leader, that Ukrainians are ready to fight, and he was able to gather international support. I think that if Zelensky would flee or if Ukrainian defenses were breached early on, then Ukraine wouldn't have gathered all those sanctions against Russia, financial aid, military aid. I think the world now sees that Ukraine is ready to fight and the world is ready to help Ukraine fight this war because of Zelensky. comes from Mint Mobile. Sometimes you see a really good sale, a really good deal, and you think, huh, what's the catch? You may be used to seeing, quote unquote, great deals from overpriced wireless providers and thinking, what's the catch? With Mint Mobile, they say, there is no catch. For a limited time, their wireless plans are just 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, you can go to mintmobile.com slash explained. That's mintmobile.com slash explained. You could cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. $45 upfront payment is required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 GB on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Yes, you can connect. Okay, we're back. We just spoke with Alexei 
about Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's transition from sort of fumbling peacetime president to outstanding wartime president. But we want to figure out what exactly it is about his video testimonials and his place in the culture right now that is so impactful. So we're turning to Emily Vanderwerf. She's a cultural critic here at Vox, and she recently wrote about this very thing. Emily, what's your theory? I'm so glad that we've turned to me, a white American lady, to talk about this instead of a Ukrainian. (laughs) But I mean, I have been consuming his videos like anybody else, and I've been like very impressed by them. And I think that people who think a lot about politics, and I include myself in that number, are people who often discount the value of creating the content that goes into politics, of being a great performer, of being someone who's comfortable on camera, of being someone who knows how to make the images that go on camera. And that is something that Vladimir Zelensky is really good at. He's been doing it since he was a teenager. He's been on television since he was in like his 20s. He's been a comedian and a performer and an actor and all of these things. And like everything you can see sort of going into the videos he's making, which are just like very well made and very well done and he's very good on camera and you're compelled by him in a way you're not a lot of politicians who are more obviously staged. And the internet loves to celebrate Zelensky's back catalog these days. For those of us who aren't on the internet 24-7, can you run us through some of his, his greatest hits? Yeah, he's been in a whole bunch of movies. Mostly they seem to be like kind of romantic comedies. Love is in the air. His breakthrough role was like playing a supporting player in somebody else's movie, which is a classic way for guys to break into the movies in romances. He was the voice of Paddington Bear in Ukraine. I'm Paddington. A thing that has made me think all world leaders should be required to voice Paddington within the country that they're in charge of. Um, I think that would that would maybe heal the planet. He's done sketch comedy. He's hosted sketch comedy shows. There's a briefly viral sketch of him playing the piano with his penis. Or so he said... And he was on Dancing with the Stars. And like, there's this video of him just being like very dramatic and very dancey with his partner. And it's like so fun to watch. And that's like just kind of scratching the surface. I think the most notable example is that he played the president of Ukraine from 2015 to 2019 on a show called Servant of the People, where he played a high school teacher who becomes president. He's going to be the anti-corruption, the good guy, all of that. And it's, of course, a very silly comedy. And so when he won the presidency, uh, you know, there was sort of this, well, he played the president on TV, and now he's the president in real life. And I think that that was kind of kind of a joke. I think we at least chuckled about it on this show. You could have put up maybe a, a penguin or a camel or a dog or a random person, and they would have won this election. I remember this happening because it was sort of novel and interesting and fun, I guess. And now like we're seeing we're seeing the good side of what happens when a politician is really good at television. When we are so used to either A really staged politicians or B 
people like Donald Trump who have understood that television is best when you are just sort of feeding it red meat. Hmm. And uh, we've seen the other way that politicians who are good at television can go, which is just like sort of constantly throwing things out there and seeing what happens. I'm glad you brought up the former president because it's not like this idea of a celebrity politician is unprecedented. There's there's that guy, there's Arnold Schwarzenegger, there's Ronald Reagan, Dr. Oz is trying to make it work, Jesse Ventura. What makes Volodymyr Zelensky different in this moment? I do think it's the moment more than it is the man. It's the fact that Ukraine is in the midst of this invasion from a larger world power, which makes us naturally sort of sympathetic to him and naturally think of him as this person. He's, you know, he's trying, he's doing his best, and like, this is such a difficult situation to be in. And he's leaning into that. First of all, he's just a, a really good wartime speechmaker. They don't know a thing about our capital, about our history, but they all have orders to erase our history, erase our country, erase us all. He gets up there and he says things that are compelling and he often kind of says them off the cuff. There's a video of him in the streets of Kiev after the Russian media was like, well, he's fled Ukraine. He made a video where he's in the streets of, of Kiev with much of his cabinet. And they're all just kind of hanging out and just like being bros. And he frames it using the camera on his phone like it's, you know, kind of a bunch of like guys hanging out at a college party, except they're in the streets of Kiev during a war. And like it is so compelling. Slava Ukraine. Slava Ukraine. Because I think we're so used to countries waging war and then leaders being very far away from it. Certainly Vladimir Putin is not on the front, on the other side. And certainly, you know, when when the United States is involved in an invasion of somewhere or in, in a war of some sort, the president is not showing up to like be there present for the, the main fighting. But I, I keep coming back to this video he made very early in the conflict, which was a direct plea to the Russian people. And it's worth noting that for most of his movie career, he was working in Russian. So his films were being shown in Ukraine, but also in Russia. That's a big part of why this, this video works, because he's addressing people who know who he is a little bit. But a thing I really think has gone under-remarked upon about the video is that it is not framed in the way we think of it as. He's standing off to the left of a blurred-out image of Ukraine, a map of Ukraine in the background, and he's delivering straight to camera. He's delivering it like he's a newscaster, basically. Automatically, you are in a place where it feels authoritative because we have this sort of subconscious um, re relation to the newscaster guy stepping in and telling us what's really going on. It feels authoritative and it feels approachable and it feels human in a way it doesn't when, for instance, President Biden is standing behind a podium or sitting at the desk in the Oval Office, which is an image we're so used to that we kind of tune it out. This isn't just effective politics right now. I mean, this is veering quite fittingly, I guess, considering his background, into entertainment. I mean, people on the internet are thirsting for President Zelensky, no? Yes, there have been some horny tweets. And TikToks. It's not the time or place to have a crush 
on President Zelensky. But. And that has added up to a lot of people being online and saying, you know, what a hot guy. Y'all got one thing to say. President Zelensky, daddy. All these little boys. I'm like, I've seen criticisms of this as being inappropriate or, you know, cringe or whatever from an audience that is not affected by this this conflict. Hey, y'all, so this is just your gentle Southern mama reminder that President Volodymyr Zelensky is married. I'm specifically talking about all of the naughty videos. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. But like this veers into an area where when big, bad, scary things happen, our brains get distracted by things that are not the big, bad, scary thing. And Zelensky has placed himself in a place where he can be the object of, we'll make him our hero, we'll make some jokes about his old comedy and his old performances, we'll get really drawn into him as a person, and an inevitable offshoot of that is horny tweets. And like, (laughs) I don't feel like shaming anybody for those. You you have your emotional reactions to the scary world that you have, and um, I don't know, maybe don't tweet about it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's important to remember that ultimately what we are enjoying when we enjoy a Zelensky video is wartime propaganda. Yes. And like, we're in a situation where kind of one of the like one of the acceptable reasons to wage a war and putting heavy air quotes around that is if your country is invaded by a larger country by a foreign power by someone who is pushing in and trying to incur upon your territory and take over your territory which is exactly what's happening to Ukraine so in terms of like propaganda he doesn't have like a very large hill to climb he just kind of has to be like hey this is not good and we're fighting back and we're like yeah that makes sense so I think that that is a big part of why it works. But you, and like when I say propaganda, there's such a dirty word quality to that word. But I also think it's propaganda toward a cause that is a fundamentally sympathetic one uh, for most of the people watching it. And like propaganda isn't always bad. To be clear, he's being invaded by a much larger army. He doesn't have a lot of weapons at his disposal, but he's really good at being on camera. So here's the weapon he can use, and it's working. Right. What he lacks in army, he makes up for in propaganda, whereas at least in the West, it would appear that what Russia has in army, it really seems to lack in propaganda. Which I think if you had asked anybody three weeks ago, Who's going to win the the PR war here? You would have said Putin because Putin has a just a tremendously large, usually effective propaganda operation. He sends out all of those shirtless photo ops where he's, you know, trying to be the world's most masculine mask man. I do think three weeks ago we would have thought, oh, Russia's going to win the PR war too because they, they also have a massive global media operation. Ukraine doesn't have a similar element. So... It is really remarkable, and it really comes down to his skills as someone who's good at being on camera, as someone who's good at making things, as someone who is good at filmmaking. And as a cultural critic, what can I say but, I mean, hurrah. Emily Vanderwerf, she's a cultural critic here at Vox.com. Earlier in the show, you heard from Oleksiy Sorokin from the Kiev Independent. You can find his work at kievindependent.com. The show today was produced by Will Reed. 
edited by Matthew Collette, engineered by Afim Shapiro, and fact-checked by Laura Bullard. The rest of the Today Explained team includes Halima Shah, Hadi Mawagdi, Victoria Chamberlain, and Miles Bryan. Our supervising producer is Amina Al-Sadi. My co-host is Noel King. Vox's VP of audio is Liz Kelly Nelson. We use music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Noam Hassenfeld. We had extra engineering help from Louis Mitchell last week, but I'm thanking him now. Thanks, Louis.